Hi, everyone. Welcome to Episode 4 of the Request for Explanation podcast. Today, we have me, Manish Goregaukar. Uh, me, Alexi Blangesner. And I'm Sean Griffin. Sean, it's your first time on this RFC, um, on this podcast. Uh, could you please tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. So uh, I'm a maintainer of Ruby on Rails, and I'm best known in the Rust world as the creator of Diesel. Uh, or, depending on if you've used Diesel or not, the creator of the absolute worst type errors that you've ever seen in Rust. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, so as a, as a serial abuser of the type system, I'm, uh, I'm quite excited about the RFC we're going to be talking about today. Today we're discussing RFC 1598, which extends the associated types feature of Rust traits with something called associated type constructors. These are a step towards a more general feature called higher kind of types that can be found in type systems more complex than that of Rust. So, Sean, what are the problems solved by this RFC? Well, so there's, there's sort of two cases, uh, which are the same in Rust, but, you, but people sort of think about different uh, differently. The first one is when you have a return type that isn't a reference, and you'd like to parameterize that over a um, lifetime. So think, for example, uh, if, you, if you look at a trait like DREF, so DREF takes a reference to self and returns a reference to um, the type's called target, whatever it's dereferencing to. And that works really well. Those two lifetimes are tied together. Now, I'm not saying that you would want to do this to DREF, but let's say, for example, then you have a tuple of two elements, and instead of having it dereference to a tuple, you want it to be, uh, or to a reference to a tuple, you want it to be a tuple of references. Uh, you, can't easily, you can't easily write that today because you need, uh, you need to be able to construct that type over the lifetime. So associated type constructors let you say that this type takes a lifetime and then you can do with it whatever, whatever you'd like uh, in, your, in your actual return type. So the signature of DREF would be uh, it just takes a reference to self and returns self-target with the lifetime of self. Uh, and that would let you continue to do what you were doing now but also do more complex things like a tuple of references or a struct that has a lifetime or whatever you want. Uh, of course, it's not just limited to lifetimes. It can also work with types as well. Uh, so you can do things like, um, what are the use cases for types? I care much more about the lifetimes <laughs> as I open up the uh, RFC a little bit more. The, one of the use cases, family types? Oh, yeah. Yeah, being able to, to, to abstract over uh, RC and ARC. Yeah, it's the same thing, right? If you if you want to abstract over a thing that is a pointer, um, actually, if you want if you want to abstract over a thing that constructs a pointer to a value of type t, does this need to use ATCs? It's really, yeah. Doesn't seem like it needs to use ATCs. Uh, it needs to use ATCs if you don't want to expose some implementation details, I believe. Because it seems like these tr this pointer trait can just be generic over T. Right, but then say your type uh, contains. Uh, so so the example case is say you're building a tree, and you want it to use reference counting, but you don't care if it's atomic or not atomic, and you want your clients to be able to decide, oh, I want it to be atomic or non-atomic. So with associated type constructors, you could literally say, uh, create my tree with the generic parameter just RC, right? Right. No, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, whereas with uh, with today, you would have to write RC of 
the actual thing the RC has. Um, and more importantly, you'd have to write RC, you'd have to do this for every single instance, every different kind of RC that you have in the tree. So if you have an RC of a node and an RC of a leaf and whatever, then you'd need to have a one type parameter for each one. Whereas here you can just say, use RCs for everything and then it will figure out, it'll use RC node when it needs a node, it'll use RC leaf when it needs a leaf or whatever. Um, so one thing uh, I, I think I should note uh, fairly early on here is um, uh, this has long been called associated type constructors, but uh, the author of this without votes considers that sort of a, a legacy deprecated name for the RFC. Uh, it's now what's just called... Name? Uh, sorry, what? Oh, just what's the actual name then? Right. Uh, it's, uh, I believe it's generic associated types. Uh, and that's a lot more clear to a Rust programmer because it's just like, what are we doing? Well, you see associated types and traits. Well, now you can put a generic on that. Instead of saying type item, you can say type item of T. Uh, you know, it's funny. I actually tried this once. I just expected this to be a thing that was already in the language and was surprised when it wasn't. Right. So, well, it's interesting because um, the type syntax for type aliases lets you do this. Right. You can say uh, type uh, int hash map of uh, v is hash map int v. Yep. So you can like partially apply some of the generic parameters with uh, top level type aliases, but not with traits. And the reason for that is like it makes the type system really complicated. <laughs> right. So actually, uh, this is one of the reasons I really, really like this RFC because it feels really natural. Um, I always felt that higher kind of types was something that Rust would like take forever to get if it ever got it at all. And that's because higher kind of types are pretty complicated. But this feature gets us a lot of what you need from higher kind of types without that much complexity. And really it feels like it's filling in a hole that was missing from the language because I think many people have tried doing what this feature um, adds to the language and been disappointed that it doesn't work. So it seems like a natural extension, a natural filling in of a gap in the language instead of a new bunch of complexity, which is really great. Yeah. I, mean, I know definitely diesel, we have a ton of uses for this. Um, one of the big ones, so we have a trait called insertable, for example, which we, we, we need lifetimes to be around in a place that we can reference them generically. So we never implement this trait on your struct. We always implement it on a reference to your struct, which is sort of how you work around the lack of, of ATCs for lifetimes today. Um, and it, it kind of works, other than you know everything takes self by value and you write your code just a little bit funky. But then also, um, if a user forgets to pass a reference to their struct in, they get the really confusing error message of uh, insertable is not implemented for my struct which is a confusing error message when you have derive insertable above that struct. <laughs> um, as opposed to the error message of expected a reference got, uh, expected a reference to my struct got my struct. Um, which itself is, I don't know, that, that error message always trips me up because I think it's saying more than it actually is. Yeah. And then the other one is, uh, if you want to have some form of higher kind of types today, you basically have to break every possible function into its own trait um, that's generic over the the type parameter and then you know has your your output type 
Uh, and so Diesel's query builder is broken into like 20 something different traits. Uh, and it's kind of okay. It's, it's, it's annoying from a documentation point of view, but more importantly, it means that I can't say that the return type of all of these methods from the query builder also has to implement the query builder DSL. I think before we get too deep in the details, we should probably just like explain what the uh, basic proposal behind the RFC is. Um, so anyone want to feel that? Let's go with Sean. Okay. So the basic proposal behind the RFC is just we add type parameters to associated types and traits uh, and everything that, 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 that comes along with that. I mean, it gets into specifics of whether or not you can, um, you can then reference an associated type without its type parameters, uh, which would be to a certain extent true higher kind of types. And the answer in this case is no. Um, but yeah, it's, it's quite literally like you, you do uh, type bar right now, and you can do type bar angle brackets stuff, and then you can reference that stuff in the, uh, in the concrete types. So what are higher kind of types? We, we keep throwing around that word, but um, it's not a common word in the Rust community. The most basic description of higher kind of types I can give is basically it's a generic type where the generic parts have not actually been provided yet. For instance, vec, vec of int is like a fully applied generic type, or shit, there's no int in Rust anymore. Vec of i32 <laughs> is a fully applied generic type. Um, uh, so it's like a fully concrete type. Say like impl angle brackets t something for vec of t, that is, anytime you reference vec of t inside of that block, T is technically fully applied. Like there's some T that's already been provided for you. This lets you do is basically talk about just VEC uh, as as its own thing. Um, well, not even just VEC, right? It, the the specific power of higher kinded types is that it lets you reference some T where T takes another type parameter. Right. So you can talk about all things that are VEC-like. So you could talk about VEC and VEC-DEC. Uh, generically. Uh, or you could abstract then, over Vec and Slice. I think so. I haven't thought about that. Yeah. Well, the lifetime is going to be annoying because Rust and the RFC mentions this that um, static slices. Yeah, okay. So you, yeah, you yeah. can abstract over Vec and static slice. I'm more just, you know, yeah. RC and ARC is a, is a much, much, RC, ARC, and box are probably the, one of the best examples. Yeah, RC and RC definitely. I'm not sure if there's a lot of places where you can wedge box in there too. I mean, if you just want an owning pointer and you don't care how where it came from. Yeah, it doesn't contain a ref cell. Um, it's you can implement your tree. You can implement everything using box and just clone everywhere, and no one will know the difference aside from exactly. like the CPU. <laughs> yes. Like, who needs garbage collection? That was a much better, much better uh, definition of HKT than I was going to give because I was just going to say it's the thing Haskell programmers say to feel smarter than you. <laughs> I know that's monads. Aren't they like way ahead of that? They they would talk about like GADTs or whatever the heck that acronym is. Generic algebraic data types, I think. Sure. Yes. Um, no, but don't worry because. <laughs> I do just love in, in in this RFC towards the bottoms. It does specifically mention 
This does not let you implement Monad. <laughs> For those curious, the reason this doesn't do that is because while you could say, so you could try and make something that's like Monad, and while you could uh, enforce that the return type enforces the Monad um, trait, you, this does not provide any mechanism for you to say that self is a higher kinded type, so you could not enforce that bind returns the same type with only the type parameter changed, which is what Monad does. There's a way to hack around this, but, well, there are two ways. I was discussing this with without votes today. There are two ways to hack around this, but, I mean, yeah, it's there, basically there's not a not hack around it. Can we just not have Monads in Rust? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so the, there's... There's often hacks around all of these type system holes, but they're like, so, so like the main reason we want these features is so that they're sufficiently high quality that the standard library would be happy rendering this as like an actual interface, right? So if, if you can encode monads and then it's just like a complete nightmare, the standard library is never going to merge that complete nightmare unless it like radically changes the way you can write Rust code. Right. Um, and it turns out it doesn't because the monadic interface doesn't actually apply to Rust properly. <laughs> Lifetimes do severely complicate that story. Yeah, well, not even that, but it's like the fact that we focused on uh, concrete types. So, like the my favorite example of why monads don't make sense in Rust is so like uh, one of the classic monads in Haskell is lists, right? It's you can take a list of T and create a list of U. And, oh, look, map. That's So what is the equivalent of list in Rust? Well, it's either vec or it's iterator. Um, for vec, we don't really give you a way to like map from one vec to another directly. We require you to go through an iterator. OK, so let's say it's iterators. So there's iterator.map, and it takes an iterator and produces another iterator. Cool, that sounds like monads. But it does not produce the same typed iterator. It wraps it in another type. Um, so the f we, by refusing to like box and abstract these things, uh, we, we kind of break the monadic interface. We're like, no, 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 this doesn't produce an iterator. It doesn't go from iterator to iterator. It goes from iterator to map of that iterator, right? Right. Which, I mean, to a certain extent, is just a workaround for the lack of ways to express that in the type system prior to this RFC. I mean, it matters because Rust cares about allocation and stuff, right? Right. Like, the only way you could do this is, like, you could have box of iterator to box of iterator, but the language would be significantly worse if everyone trafficked in box of iterator. No, um, no, sure. I guess I'm also separating, like, concretely what something is behind the scenes versus what it's rep how it's represented in the type system. Because you could treat that as going from impl iterator to impl iterator. Uh, yes. Which then, like, from a type system point of view, is effectively the same as, you know, if, as returning the same type. Other than that, it's concretely two different types behind the hood, but you can't interact with them as if they were different well, types. Correct me if I'm really wrong, that's only useful for things like iterator because uh, you couldn't do anything with the concrete type map other than iterate. Right. But, but correct me if I'm wrong, list in Haskell is like a totally concrete implementation, right? Oh, yeah. No, definitely. I mean, well, yes. Although, I mean, Haskell gets away, with, gets away with a little bit more just because everything's lazy. Oh, yeah. They do tons of optimization so that it's like not totally true, but like 
semantically it's creating lists, like concrete right. linked lists. Right. They're just, it's just constructing a list isn't constructing a list in Haskell. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's, it's a promising to eventually construct a list. Basically, right. all of our iterator adapters, um, the, uh, the functionality behind our iterator adapters is generically encoded in the Haskell runtime by being lazy, which is which means that they don't need all that complexity because they just say they have a list <laughs> and they actually have some weird I, lazy abstraction of arbitrary code. But I like how you say they don't need all of that complexity. <laughs> yeah, because they, they have they, all <laughs> of this complexity. Yeah, it's like oh, they, they don't, don't need all that complexity because they have list fusion and stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's it's trading runtime complexity for compile time complexity. Yeah. Right. Um. Which, you know, I know this will be a shocker to anybody who's seen Diesel's type errors, but I'm a fan of uh, trading <laughs> runtime complexity for compile time complexity. Wait, which direction do you want the trade to be? Compile time complexity is better than runtime complexity. Yeah, that pretty much reflects Diesel's API from what I've seen. Yeah. But anyway, we've got a bit of fire field. The, the point is, um, a lot of the things... Uh, generic associated types end up being most of what you ever want in Rust, uh, just because the things that you can't encode, it turns out they're not as useful in Rust because we're, we, we give you concrete types a lot more. I agree. I would wager that this R, with this RFC, we won't ever actually need full higher kind of types in Rust. Yeah, I, I've said this for a while that, like, um, I don't actually think we'll ever get full higher kind of types, even, like, in a five years from now kind of situation. This could change, but, like, I've, I've, I've always seen that the opinions of all the folks um, who are really involved in this seem to be leaning towards just never doing full higher kind of types. For yeah. reasons that, that Alexei mentioned, so... Yeah, well, beyond the fact that it doesn't actually add that much expressivity in the context of Rust, uh, as so I don't remember the full details, but whenever the compiler does talk about it, they're very much like, if we had full higher-counted types, it would kill the compiler super dead. Like, it would <laughs> be really bad for compile times if, if these things existed in our type system. It would, ruin uh, our, it would ruin our amazingly great compile times. Well, right. Imagine if they were worse. Right. <laughs> like an order of magnitude works. <laughs> so C++. Uh, Swift. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, so it is kind of interesting. Um, Swift does have a lot of the sort of complex problems that Rust is trying to avoid by doing this stuff. Uh, they have so many different uh, conversions and uh, overloads that they have to search this massive space for, for lots of things. And that's kind of what the, uh, that's what fully unchained higher kind of types have. They, they force the compiler to search massive spaces for what is this actual type. Right. Uh, you can get a similar effect in Rust today by implementing about two dozen traits or so for arbitrary tuples up to whatever size you want, and you'll find that the uh, compile time of your app will scale linearly with the size of the tuples that you uh, implement things for. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
you know, just to increase the complexity scale of where D, of where uh, the Rusty has to search for the concrete implementation of any given trait. Yeah. So, so as a regular user of Rust, uh, how would this RFC affect me, if any? Uh, it won't. Libraries are going to use it. I don't think I don't think the average Rust app is going to be using this. I mean, libraries will be able to provide more effective APIs. And you'll, you know, maybe a standard library gains a streaming iterator trait, uh, an, an iterator where you cannot hold on to, um, you can only use one element of it at a time. Uh, and so then maybe, you know, theoretically, like, you'd implement that trait for your types. But I, I don't think the average Rust user is going to interface with this, with this RFC frequently, if ever. I think I agree. Yeah, me too. Um... On that topic, like, could you explain some use cases for streaming iterators? So I've got a really good one, actually. Um, so uh, if you're dealing with a with a SQL API, or if you're, yeah, specifically these C libraries, um, SQLite, a, a really good one. Uh, the interface for SQLite is uh, you, you create a prepared statement object, you provide some bind parameters, you say, I want to execute it, and then you have a single function that you call called step, which is going to mutate the same pointer over and over again with the same with, with the data for each row in uh, in the query. And it's basically just a cursor over a file is what is what it is what it is in practice. But the idea being that you have a thing that is effectively an iterator, but with the um, limitation of it's mutating the same pointer under the hood. So if you want to hold on to any data the, the second time you call next, you need to have cloned it before you do that. Right, yeah. Uh, a similar example that I have in WebRender, uh, which is Servo's and Gecko's new rendering engine. Um, when we send, so we have, uh, WebRender needs to be in a separate process for security reasons um, and stability reasons. So the browser will send uh, the, a description of your page across the process as serialized bytes. Uh, and then we need to deserialize them on the other end. Um, to avoid needing to allocate a huge buffer for this, like, 100 meg or, sorry, not 100 megabyte, one megabyte uh, buffer, which is pretty big, yeah. uh, every single frame, what we do is we deserialize one of the items into just, like, a local variable or, or like, a, a field of the iterator struct, and then we return a pointer to that field. And so if you call next, then we would overwrite that field again. So we can't let you call uh, next while still holding pointers to the yielded element. Um, so if that just were, and right now, it's, uh, it's a bit gross. There's some, some really bad hacks for iterating this uh, because of uh, non-lexical lifetimes, actually. Uh, so if we got fixed non-lexical lifetimes and then made for loops to be able to work with these iterators. It would be a real nice ergonomic improvement. So um, why are you, like, if you are, why are you in particular excited about this RFC, either of you? I mean, I've, I've listed, like, four use cases in diesel. I'm, I'm excited for it because there's just stuff in diesel that we can't otherwise do. Uh, like either either that what we're having to do instead is just way 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 objectively worse and makes for confusing error messages. That's our that's 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 our good cases right now. There's a ton of stuff we'd like to do that we just flat out can't. 
Yeah, our my use cases for it are mostly better collection APIs. Um, mm. Stuff that, again, almost no one will ever notice, but those 1% of people who do notice them are really mad about. Um, yeah. I, I think this is one of those features that, like, at some point in your code, um, at, at some level of complexity, you realize you need it, and then, like, it's a big blocker at that point. It's not one of those things you can easily work around quite often. It's just like you stop then, and then you realize that you now can't you just can't do that thing. Yeah. Yeah, or like um, you make a build.rs file. <laughs> right. Yeah. We anything we is sort possible of, when you build.rs. We we sort of ended up doing that in um, Stylo, the project to integrate a servo CSS system into Firefox where we wanted to abstract over a, the Gecko and Servo backend. And we ended up just using more conditional compilation and doing some hacks. But um, initially, we actually had code that was using um, HRTB and stuff and trying to emulate this feature and just failing. Sorry, um, can you because, expand yeah, that? I, I feel like we should back up there, HRTB. Uh, so HRTB is this feature that Thankfully, very few people know about, and thankfully, nobody uses. Um, I use it. Yeah, please don't use it. Uh, it's a feature in Rust that lets you say, or it, the, the syntax is basically for tick A with tick A within angle brackets. Um, HRTB stands for higher rank trait rounds. And like, so, so for example, if you have a function that accepts a reference, the type of that function or the function signature is like function foo tick a, um, and the first argument's type is ampersand tick a, whatever, integer or something. Um, the type of this function is function that a function that takes an ampersand tick a, but where did that tick a come from? It's actually the type of this function is for all tick a, it takes in, um, for all lifetime A, it takes in an ampersand tick A integer. Um, and the way you express this is with the for syntax, where you say for tick A function ampersand tick A integer. Yeah. Um, so I will way, say, it's a way for when you have a trait that takes a lifetime and you yeah. are using it, referencing it from a place where you don't have a lifetime, you say it's satisfied for all possible lifetimes. Yes. I will say anyone who's for, using. Uh, the closure traits is almost certainly using higher rank trait bounds right, yes. and they just don't know it because there's actually secret sugar where you can write uh, T implements say fun of reference of T to U. Uh, what that's weird you just wrote a reference of T without a lifetime and it's because it secretly puts that for for you. T um, sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. This this yeah, this feature is pretty useful for functions, but like, um, you can use it on traits as well. These are the two places you can use it behind a function, behind a trait, and when you use it behind a trait, you're actually effectively emulating the uh, the generic associated types feature for lifetimes. However, um, this feature is buggy, and there are certain things it doesn't let you do, so it usually ends up not working out well. So. If you end up in a situation where you need this, you should probably think hard. However, generic associated types will be a much cleaner way of solving all these situations. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
poor Pazel uh, a few years ago. He he's developed out like this pretty good API for uh, like generic manipulation of collections, but it's just been mired with all of these corner case type system bugs, where it's like, oh, I tried to use higher rank trait bounds or this other like sketchy like rarely used feature and it just blows up because it doesn't figure things out. My favorite with uh with HRTB is um when I have something that's like uh a type array of T and then I have some trait that takes a lifetime and I can only implement this where uh T outlives it to K. And that just basically means it never works with higher rank trait bounds. Doesn't, it no longer works with any arbitrary lifetime. It only works with any arbitrary lifetime that, that this arbitrary type outlives, which is any arbitrary lifetime, but just in a way that is opaque to... Uh, right, well, that means it lives for tick static normally, right? Yeah, which it, it, it basically always is. Right. But, but the trait isn't tick static, so... Yeah. Um. <laughs> He's kind of way in the weeds again. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> that happened. This, yeah, this, this RFC is fun because it's like, it's it's actually really simple. I recommend people read it. It's very yeah. clear and very short. Um, it's the RFC that makes it so you don't have to care about any of this in the weed stuff that we're talking about. Yeah, so we're basically just venting about like all of these ridiculous types of some corner cases that this is like helping us get around. <laughs> yeah. All right, so this, this RFC is great. So it's what it's blocked on chalk, right? Is that still is that still where it's at? Yeah. Uh, um, well, I think it also needs to land, but right. But I thought I wasn't last I heard it was it they don't want to land it until on. they can express it in chalk and see that it doesn't add any unexpected cases. Oh yeah, right. fair. I think oh, I'm trying to remember. There was recently a big breakthrough on one of the like three big chalk RFCs that like, but I'm not sure if it affects this one. So I think we should just give a quick explainer on what chalk is before we go ahead. Uh, yeah, so chalk is basically uh, a simplified version of the compiler's type system uh, that is very easy to reason about. Um, so basically, if you want to add a cool new feature to the to the Rust programming language, uh, you you can add it to Chalk really easily because it like gets rid of a lot of the like hairy implementation details that a real compiler needs, um, and then you can prove to yourself that like okay this this augmentation of the language is sound, and then they can go and implement it properly in the compiler, uh, while also having like a reference implementation to be like is that are really complicated in a production compiler implementation actually doing what are really simple in a like proof system implementation are are, are they agreeing hmm. at least that's my understanding of it maybe maybe i'm wrong no sounds fine I'm, my understanding is prologue is cool therefore <laughs> yeah let's let's implement the rust type system in prologue Yes, it does end up being uh, very prologue-ish. Um, which, I mean, it actually makes sense because prologue does very much reflect what the Rust compiler needs to do when trying to determine whether a type satisfies a trait or not. Right, yeah. So 
what the Rust compiler ends up being is a huge like searcher. It's just like searching the this the the space of types for like types that satisfy all of the constraints that it has. And that's basically what Prolog ends up being. It's just a searcher of things that fit the constraints. Yeah. Nico actually has a bunch of uh really good blog posts on on these details. Yes. So like back to what we were discussing, like what is this RFC blocked on exactly? Which part of chalk? Because it seems like chalk it says existing. that. Yeah, it seems like I it says that it's chalk already implemented exists, in but chalk. someone needs to implement this in chalk. No, it says that it's implemented in chalk as well. So. Oh yeah, it does. Oh, on oh. June thirteenth, this is already implemented in chalk. Sweet. So it's blocked on Felix. Is what it looks like. I, I, Felix, I guess if you're listening, yeah. check check box. <laughs> Do it now. It seems like I can check the checkbox on his behalf. That would, that would be a bad idea. No, I think that's fine. Like, if, if you have permission to check the checkbox, it must be right, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, this RFC is awesome. And actually, yeah, just looking at the last, uh, at the last couple of comments, since I haven't looked at this in a little while. Yeah, I mean, it looks like basically everybody is roughly in agreement. This is awesome. Let's merge it. Um, That's just waiting on the last couple of reviews. Yeah, and to be clear, this getting merged is like a mile away from anyone being able to use this on stable Rust. Oh right, I mean this. We're, like, if it lands in 2018, I'll be surprised. In stable, that is. Yeah, definitely. I would expect this to sort of land with like the specialization stuff that's happening, or I mean, maybe specialization is happening like right now. Isn't there like yeah, a next specialization step of specialization? Fast-tracked, I think. Yeah, there. Well, so they they separated out specialization from um, default type. Ah, yeah. Oh, Basically, right. specialization that was a big chalk breakthrough. Uh, so, uh, as of the uh, big team work week uh, a few weeks ago, specialization was known to be like unsound in Rust, uh, and the big breakthrough they had is they figured out how to make it sound. <laughs> I thought they. Fi- I, my understanding was the opposite, that they figured out that's even more unsound than they expected, and when nobody has a good solution. Bad news? Uh, Aaron's blog. When did he post that? Like, last week. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. Okay, I might be That's why, basically, they're moving forward with specialization without default type, because default type has so many soundness issues that they don't know how to resolve. Um, but specialization just for behavioral purposes is always going to be sound because the, it, the unsoundness occurs when type check and trans disagree on which impl applies. And that only matters if which impl applies can affect type checking, which only matters if default type is, uh, is a thing. Right. So, so just I, allowing... I, I guess the soundness fix they found was we can cut out this part and then it works. Right, and so then, and so now, and so now, that part of specialization is being fast tracked, and default type, you know, maybe will land eventually. Well, yeah, this sounds like a topic for uh, one of our future podcasts. Yeah, sure. Uh, so this RFC is really great. Uh, it's really simple. Like, 
I think most Rust developers could read it and, and grok it. Uh, I, it's going to really help uh, library developers to make good APIs and good designs that are like efficient and, and usable. And most application developers just won't have to worry about it. Like they'll probably not even notice that it's happening. Yeah. But Diesel's going to use it. Futures is going to use it. Maybe Tokyo I mean, uses it. Who uses those really? Like those are right. really obscure. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, thank you, Sean, for joining us today. And thanks, Alexi, as well. We, we hope this RFC lands. Again, it is RFC 1598 generic associated types. Thank you for listening. Uh, see you next time.